know, you guys had some amazing success in building a much broader coalition. Um, and so I'd love to get your advice um, uh, to the listeners on what does that look like and uh, what recommendations you would make, not just for a presidential candidate, but right. all those down ballot candidates who are now struggling with that label of Democrat. So, Senator, first of all, delighted to be speaking to the next Secretary of Agriculture, but <clears throat> I digress. Uh, what has cost us is what I call cultural arrogance. That, you know, I grew up, I'm 75 years old. The reason I became a Democrat in the South, because I don't hate anybody. And I'm a rural white. And somehow or another, the party at some level, certainly not you, or, or Senator Conrad and his dog and anybody like that, set off cultural vapors that we were the coastal metropolitan educated party and people heard that and they didn't like it. And we got to stop it. And you're not going to get people to vote for you by telling them that they're stupid. You're going to get people to vote for you by, by acknowledging that you want change. And now we're the vehicle to bring that change to you. But it, 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 it's such a, it, 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 the, what led to this was a long time in the making. And I'm, I, I think that Vice President Biden, that one thing, I mean, many things I like about him, one is he is not a culturally arrogant person. He doesn't, he doesn't give you the feeling that he thinks he's better than you. And that's the first step in getting, you know, and we don't, we're not going to carry these voters. That's an illusion. But boy, if we lose less bad, you know, if, if you carry the, 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 the Red River counties and you lose less bad in the rest of the state, you can win an election. But it, it takes a, it takes a, you do two things at one time. Yeah, I mean, that's really what I proved in, in 12. You know, big wins in, in urban areas but also the ability to carry a number of rural counties that were um, historically, you know, moderate voters. And, and so the, the, the real challenge that you have is the image of the national party um, as carried forward by uh, a lot of, um, you know, I, I think, I don't want to pick on anyone, but kind of this new progressive movement is, is very challenging from the standpoint of telling people, we hear you, we respect you, um, and we're not going to judge you for for what you believe and and judge you for the fact that uh, you are uh, concerned about the Second Amendment. That I mean, it's in the Constitution. We should all be concerned about the Second Amendment and what that means. Um, and and I think I think when you when you boil it down, right now Biden at the top of the ticket is is an opportunity, I think, for to, to open up that dialogue. But the question is, how do you get people to listen? By, by talking with people, to people, not talking at people. All right? That's the first step. It, and we just lost that. I, I'll give you an example. This drives me crazy. And it's just one thing. So, you know, a big LSU guy. Everybody was. So we play in a national championship game, and you all, it's a Monday night, it's before what we got faced with now, and that's 80 miles away. So the university 
the president of the university says we're not going to have classes on Monday and Tuesday, obviously because I don't want my daughter driving back and forth at 1.30 in the morning on a 15,000 drunk college kids on the highway, and I'm going to go to class anyway. So this guy at the New York Times editorial board, Mr. Applebaum, sends out a tweet. He says, well, a real school's going to be covered under the Sanders-Warren plan or just fake schools like LSU? You know how culturally arrogant that is? You know, we got a Democratic governor in our state who's a, who's a damn good Democratic governor. Why does he have to answer to somebody like this? Because Mr. Applebaum is a reflection of that urban arrogance that and I, I know he, I, I know he's not an elected member of the party or anything, but he reflects something that people hear. And, and, and people in your people in your state and people in my state, we got to admit it. There's, some, there's just some arrogant people in this party and they need to learn how to shut up. <laughs> or they need to be marginalized. I mean, right. you know, obviously. Well, I'm doing my best to marginalize them. Well, uh, me too. It doesn't always win me a lot of friends, let me tell you, or you either. Well. But, you know, our, our, our challenge, I think, for those of us who um, saw uh, saw an opportunity to bring the country together in the in the 90s, and then again in in the 2000s, you know, with the election of um, Barack Obama, I think there's there's been a a sense that so many Republicans have, or um, so many of our Democratic friends have, that. Um, you know, forget those rural areas, forget appealing to those people. You only dilute the enthusiasm of of young people. You only dilute the enthusiasm of the kind of now democratic base of, uh, of African-American women and urban, suburban, highly educated women. Uh, and, and you have to keep reminding people that governing is a pretty important responsibility. And when you ignore a whole section of the country, you you then end up with a government that cannot govern because the country's too divided. Plus, I don't want to be, the reason that I'm in a Democratic Party is because I don't look down on anybody, right? And rural white people are people. They don't need to be looked down at. We, don't, I can, we can get all the African-American votes we want, all the urban votes we want. We can do well. Whose value, other than, you know, these Twitter jerks, have have a value of looking down on someone? That doesn't reflect anything. It, 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 it's dumb politically, and it's, frankly, it's immoral. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, if I were going to play devil's advocate, I would say, well, they also, you know, rural, rural America in many places talks about being the real America. America that has real values. I hate that. And that's just as damaging. Uh, it, it is. The, the real America is anybody that's here. I, I had a, uh, a student that I was interviewing for a scholarship, and she was from South Dakota. And um, she said, well, I have South Dakota values. And I said, well, explain what that is. She said, well, I value hard work. And I go, well, I know a lot of people in New York City who scrub toilets who value oh. you know, hard work. And so I think I think this idea that we're divided 
um, by ethics or morals or divided by uh, um, some kind of sense of, um, of country, you know, I think we've got to get back to that. We've got to get back to having leaders who are willing to say, you know, bring people together and willing to kind of identify what that what that American ethic is um, that unites all of us. And we know, we damn sure know one thing. It's not the leader we have right now. I mean, it's not President Trump who fans the flames of those divisions. And so, you know, the important thing for, I think, not just the uh, uh, Vice President Biden in this campaign, it's important that Democrats throughout the country start talking about, I think, um, bringing the country back together uh, in ways that uh, we have not experienced in the last couple couple uh, years here with this president. But how do you do that, James? I mean, how do you how do you get that message out that Democrats are respectful of all people? We should. And and to to, to the young woman in, in South Dakota, I invite her to come to New Orleans and work on the back of a work with some sanitation workers in mid-August and tell me people don't work. All right. That's insane. But, but, but they hear that. At, they get that from home. All right. She doesn't get that from her heart. She hears that kind of crap at the Thanksgiving table. But look, we're going to win this election. I'm not. I'm not. If, if we get any kind of fair vote, nothing. You know, we're going to win. We have a chance to really win big, because people, and a lot of people, they just don't want to see this. I mean, you look at these clowns in in, in Michigan, in Illinois in Wisconsin, like carrying, you know, I have guns, right? I was in the Marine Corps. I'm in Shenandoah Valley. The second biggest day of the year, bigger than, than Easter, New Year's or Thanksgiving, is the opening of deer season, right? And it's only six, Christmas is only 60, 40 ahead of it. Right? <laughs> so, you know, what people are looking for is something different. So mothers... People trying to raise kids, they see these people like screaming, being rude, holding up Confederate flags and Nazi slogans. And then these these rural mothers are not going to like that. They're not going to like that at all, much less a suburban, educated female, et cetera, et cetera. They're going to be a huge backlash to all this. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, I, I think the tragedy in the last, um, 20 years since uh, you know President Clinton has really been a, a, a lack of unified purpose and mission, um, and and you know I think it's going to take a president like Biden, who, as you said, has no cultural arrogance. I mean, he's, he is he is as down. Uh, home as as anybody I could find in North Dakota, I could take him to anyone's dinner table, and he would have uh, the opportunity to relate and to you know people just love him when they when they need him. And so the question is, how do you how do you bring the country back together and govern the country if you ignore places like rural America, right? So so how do we message to rural America? that matters um, uh, kind of going forward? Well, there's, a, there's, there's several things. Number one is 
you know, rural America produces a lot of goods, all right? I'm sitting here, you know, having a mail-order pizza from Chicago, and, and that cheese was made in rural America, right? The meatball on the pizza was made in rural America. The, the wheat that made the dough was made in rural America. I'm eating a salad. The avocado was made in rural America. The, the butter lettuce was made in rural America. And we just don't need people. They're not, they're not into that right now. There's no value in it. It, it. it may be for some people like concentrated in uber liberal enclaves, but they're going to vote for us anyway. Right. But it's not what it's, it, it, the thing is, it's just against it, it's against being what it means to me. And I know to you to what it, being a Democrat means. I mean, you're not going to look down on, on an Asian tech worker in Fargo. You're not going to look down on, on, on an all field worker in, in, in Western North Dakota. You're not going to look down on, on a farmer or, or, you know, a school teacher or anything. It's, it's just not, it's just a silly place that we end up in this world of people like Mr. Applebaum, who him, he and his ilk kill us election time. And I'm going to call these people out. I'm, I'm, I'm naming names. That's the only way to stop this. I thought it was really interesting, and and you know, like you have a lot of opportunity to engage with um, students from all over the country. Um, if I if if we were still in session, what I would force them all to read was a recent op-ed in that same newspaper in the New York Times, which I think is an important placement. Um, from a, a mother who um, whose husband has a job in the oil field in Texas. And um, she basically was saying she watched with dismay at the kind of glee about what's happening to the oil industry, um, which is equally important in Louisiana oh. for jobs oh. and for good paying jobs. And she said, look, we're human beings out here. We, we, this is our living and there's real human misery when uh, we aren't able to do our jobs or when what we produce um, has no has no value. So don't be jumping up and down saying it's the end of the oil industry when okay. without appreciating that we've this is this is a major employer in this country. I have a nephew who's 43 kids. One of them was like St. Jude. She's God, she's recovered. He was the number two guy in development and, and Lafayette area, Louisiana. He lost his job because there's no economic activity. He's so dependent on all. I got another <clears throat> nephew. Was a, my niece married a petroleum engineer, went to Washington U in St. Louis, and he's they're living out there. I mean, if what Democrats could say is, look, we, we, we want to retrain because the jobs in the fossil fuel industry are not going to be what they were. Let's talk about how we can segue into renewables and help people and train people. And, and th that's fine. You can talk like that. I'm, I'm, I mean, there's plenty of things you can say, but you're right. You don't need to take glee because let me tell you, that industry supports a lot of people. And, you know, it's probably, well, it, it's, 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 even after this, it'll probably still be in decline. But we got we to gotta get these people trained, and particularly these young people trained to, to, as a job shift. You're going to have to go from being a petroleum engineer to a solar engineer, a hydro engineer, a wind engineer, or anything like that, or, or, or me, nuclear.
You know, if you're not, you're not you're talking about climate and you're not talking about engineering and nuclear, you're not having a serious discussion. Well, that I mean, that that is obviously very I mean, anyone who understands anything about um, putting electricity on a wire understands the need for baseload power and the need for clean energy uh, sources and not have that that kind of judgment. But, you know, the, the real challenge is getting getting our message, your message and my message um, heard, because the minute that that you put Democratic label behind your name in states like ours and, you know, goodness sakes, great for your governor to get elected in a state like Louisiana as a Democrat. You have to be a moderate and you have to have a big personality like he does. But let, let me tell you, um, you're constantly fighting not just to, uh, you know, get yourself elected and to, to pursue your agenda, but you're fighting those arguments every day that Democrats believe this or Democrats believe that. And, you know, it is it, it, it absolutely has to um, come from the top of leadership um, for for many people to push back um, and to help redefine the Democratic Party, not as the party of arrogant elites, but as the party of working people again. But, but look, the Democratic Party, in, in everybody went nuts. They went AOC, Twitter, Bernie, etc. They don't understand what the Democratic, the base of the Democratic Party right now is mostly African-American and college-educated women. That's what the Democratic Party, for the most part, is right now. And none of the, neither one of those demographics are particularly arrogant or particularly over-the-top left-wing. It is yeah, our friend Congressman Clyburn demonstrated to the entire world. And this is not in, in all of the the press was going crazy and it was the, the whole thing. And like, gee whiz, they, we win a race in a, you know, where the Democratic performance is plus 35. Well, you can't lose. And when you look at your race, even in 18, the Cook PBI for North Dakota is 19. We lost by 10 and a half. Senator McCasso, she lost by five. Then the Cook PBI in Missouri is nine. The kind of same thing for Senator Donnelly. I mean, we did lose it. It was a, it was, it was a shame, and I wanted to win. But everywhere you turn around, we're running ahead, even in North Dakota, in Missouri, in Indiana, not to mention Kentucky and Louisiana, in, in South Carolina. We're running ahead. We're going to win. We're going to win. And if we're smart, we're going to win big. And we can expand our vote in, in rural America. We obviously got to concentrate on high-value states. Understand that. We've got to concentrate on Pennsylvania. We've got to concentrate on Michigan. We've got to concentrate on Wisconsin. We've got to concentrate on Florida, North Carolina, place like that. I, I, I get it. But we're going to win this state. And he is, this guy has got loser written all over him. And we have to, he's just a, he's a big fat loser. And that's <laughs> just who he is. And, and don't, and people say, James, don't say that. I, why? It's the truth. 
And people will come out and vote, and it's going to discourage them. Because, you know, part of what, what some of these people like about Trump is, well, he, you know, he tells it like it is. You know, he's going to lose like it is, too. Well, I always, when people tell me he tells it like it is, I go, do you, do you believe he tells the truth? And most people know. I mean, even his staunchest supporters know that the guy is not a truth teller, right? Um, they're willing to tolerate it. They're willing to tolerate behaviors, which is always interesting to me, in a president that they wouldn't tolerate in a neighbor <laughs> or in a, you know, a shopkeeper. Once they see he's a loser, which they're going to see, they're gonna, their attitudes are going to change. Yeah, I, I think I think it's always hard to convince people that they made a mistake, um, which is why it's frequently easier for incumbents. Because, right. uh, but but I think I think that the the president um, is his own worst enemy. I mean, I I used to say if he were just halfway normal as a human being, he'd be at sixty percent. The Democrats have been riding his personality uh, faults for a long time. And, and the reality is, is we can't be the party of, uh, of, you know, let's not elect Trump. We've got to be the party that governs once we get the job. And, and I think that's one of the reasons why I care a lot about what's happening in rural America, because once we start governing again and have the opportunity to govern, we've got to make sure that our... Um, our message to rural America is an inclusive message that expresses a great deal of concern about the conditions, right. um, the economic challenges that rural America has. So this is my favorite statistic. 18% of America elects 52 senators. Now let me repeat that. 18% of America elects 52 senators. Rural Americans, in addition to being people who deserve and need to be respected, not looked down on, are just strategically located. And if you think, and you know you've been there, if if, if Joe Biden wins, we break it, you know, we, we keep the House, and Mitch McConnell is in charge of the Senate, and John Roberts is running the federal judiciary, yeah, we'll have competent ambassadors, but nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to change. You cannot change this country without rural America, without cutting in the margin. You can win in North Carolina. You can win in Georgia. You can win in Texas. You can win in Arizona and Colorado, Montana, Iowa, all right? You, Maine. Most of these states are heavily rural, are heavily rural. You're not going to beat Susan Collins unless you penetrate urban Maine. You're not going to beat Johnny Ernst unless you penetrate rural Iowa. My good friend, Governor Bullock, he's not going to win without penetrating rural Montana. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Get over it. You can't get it done with your urban base. You need to expand it. Get real, people. And when these candidates shifting out there talking to rural America... Praise them. Cheer them. That's what you want. You want to win. You don't want to look down on people. It, 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 you know, and, and, and I think that so many of these folks see rural America as alien America. 
Um, you know, we could never go there. What I, I always laugh. It, it would do events in, in New York City and they'd go, what, what, what would I say to someone who was a farmer in North Dakota? And I would say, well, you would say, hello, how are you? How's your family? The same thing you'd say to anybody else in, a, in the world. Probably and, go to uh, cell phone and check the commodity prices. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a good option, I think, man. Jesus, yeah. you, can't, you know, <laughs> look at this. Yeah, is you know, boy, corn's been taking it tough. And I hear people right. aren't planting a lot of it because of what's happened with ethanol. You know, right. the, the irony, the irony of this for rural America is this president's been economically horrible for rural oh. America. You know, just see a farmer and say, hey, you know, how has, uh, you know, technology changed the way that you do things in the last 10 years? I've talked to you for 30 minutes on that. I mean, just treat them like people. Just, I was in North Dakota, you know, Hal Rosenbluth had that, there's a place that must be like 40 miles south of Bismarck. Yeah, Big, so beautiful on the, on the Missouri. Right on the Missouri River. I, I gotta tell you something. If you've never been to rural North Dakota, you're missing some of the most scenic parts of the United States. And you're not going to be crowded. But right there where that is on the Missouri River, it's it just, it, it, there's, real, there's real understated beauty in that state. It, it really is. And I, I love being out there. We, we ride horses and round up cows and castorate and do everything you can imagine. And he'd bring out all of his clients. For his, in fact, Hal called me up. Texted me like a couple, three weeks ago, seeing how I was doing. But that, but that's a gorgeous, but that's that's gorgeous part of the world. Bismarck is a, is is a fine fine city. I'd like to get back there sometimes. Yeah, well, you're welcome anytime, James. You know, and and you know, I I think I think that um, one of the reasons why we did one country was to push back against this notion um, that I hear from a lot of people um, in the Democratic Party that rural America's lost, it's insignificant, and your statistic is absolutely the most valuable. But what you're up against when you when you say that, you know, that uh, 18% of the country elects six, uh, uh, 52 senators, what, yeah, what, what, what they want to do is they want to undo the great compromise, right? They want to rewrite the Constitution. It's not going to happen. And I'm like, yeah, well, amen. All right, and I—I I mean that might—it's not going to happen. North Dakota is not going to ratify a constitutional amendment that diminishes its political power. Neither is Wyoming, neither is Vermont. All right, it's not going to happen. Get over it. It may happen someday. Right now, we have a career criminal who is a buffoon running the country. We got one job, people. That's to get him out of there. That's it. You're not going to remake the Senate. You're not going to remake the Electoral College. You're not going to do any of that. Well, the, the other thing, and you know this, I, I tell people this. When I ran in 12, I knew that I had to outperform Barack Obama in North Dakota. But I, I, I figured, you know, maybe 20 percent. But when we did tracking poll at, polls at the end, the minute Barack Obama's margin went over 22, where he lost the state by more than 22 I could not win. I could I could take that level of headwind. President uh, Trump won North Dakota by uh, thirty six points, right? So, so and I obviously outperformed you know any Democrat who ran in the last you know ten years. 
in North Dakota, and it still wasn't enough to, to win. And and my point in all of that is that at some point, if if the Democratic Party, it, even even the most liberal of Democrats, want to actually have the ability to govern the country, they cannot do it without having a conversation and and winning back those voters who voted uh, in rural America, who voted for Barack Obama, proving that when people say, oh, it's all about racism, it's not all about racism. You know, that's your shortcut. You know, it's it's about losing the hearts and minds and people feeling disrespected by a political party or completely disconnected from uh, uh, a party that that wants to socially engineer everything in our country. And that's not the Democratic Party that I signed up for. And I think it's incumbent on people like you and I, who are Democrats, who we can sign up for that, to push back and help redefine the party. Um, because, because there's plenty of people trying to push it the other way. Well, I don't think, I think that, that now we have Vice President Biden at the head of the ticket. I, I, I don't think that. I think he's going to help a lot in that matter. The other thing is when people say that, right? Let's take a state I know well, Pennsylvania. Take uh, Luzerne County, Wilkes-Barre. Just so I thought you could take Westmoreland or Bieber or Cambria, anyone you want, right? We're losing there, like, terribly, like 85-15 of some of these places, right? 80-20. And some of it is, is racial. I, I agree with that. Right. But suppose you cut the margin to 70, 30, you know what you would win? Everything, everything, everything. And, and people have to understand that. It's not just, you know, it's not just that the idea is you're getting slaughtered. You can do better. You can do better. And, and, and you, you know, by smart targeting, you know, some rural Americans, some of us went to college, some didn't, some are married, some are not, some go to church a lot, some go less, all right? There are, it's not the same person, the different people in rural America. We just, we would never, we would never say, like, all African Americans are the same, or all Jews are the same, or all Latinos are the same. We'd say, James, you can't say that, that's almost racist. And, you know, you're right, but why are you allowed to say all the people that I grew up with are the same? Yeah. That's what I don't yeah, understand. It, it, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a real challenge, I think, um, to try and figure out how how you can maintain a, a, a an agenda that um, moves this country forward in ways that you and I know it needs to move forward whether that is a, a better education system that um, broadens people's horizons and doesn't narrow people into uh, jobs that won't exist in the next uh, uh, 10 years and preparing the, the world for that. And, it, and it's interesting because I think people think, oh, all those coal miners in, in West Virginia, they just, those guys uh, just want to mine coal and they don't want to change. And I'm like, have you gone out and actually talked to coal miners in West Virginia? Because they understand that this is that that there has to be a challenge and a transition. But what they're hearing is that their work, 
quality of the work that they do isn't respected. And when you are working the way they, as hard as what they work, and you feel disrespected by a group of people or by a political party, you aren't going to open your mind to, to take on, um, you know, to, to voting for those folks. And those, those same people used to be reliable Democratic voters. And we've got to somehow deliver a message of inclusion and a message of, of change that, that appreciates and respects who they are and what they've done um, with their lives. And I think it's, it's always a challenge um, for me to explain when against that, why I'm a Democrat against a backdrop of people who are literally um, uh, saying things that disrespect the people that I grew up with. That, and that's the anti. If you explain to people why you're Democrat, that that's the antithesis. The people like Mr. Applebaum are completely the opposite reason of why I became a Democrat and why I remain a Democrat. People like Joe Biden, are by and large, the reason that I am one. And I, I thought we had, a, you know, many candidates in our field that got insufficient attention that were from the same cut of non-arrogant cloth. Actually, I'm not for Bernie. I don't think Bernie is an arrogant man. I think he's an ideologue, all right? Wasn't for him. But, but I, I, don't, I don't think he personally has any sense of, I mean, he probably has a sense of ideological righteousness in, that I, I disagree with. But I, I don't think Bernie Sanders thinks he's better than other people. And sometimes... We, we give off that vapor. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I think that if you took, if you took each one of these candidates individually and, you know, I want to applaud you for your endorsement of my great friend, Michael Bennett. I think he is one of the most talented um, leaders in the democratic party. And I know that we haven't heard the last of him. Um, and, and I, I, I would recommend to anybody watching this to read his book. Uh, it's it's a great uh, uh, discussion about what needs to happen in this country. But but I think I think when you when you take each one of these individually, you you would say, well, they don't seem arrogant. But somehow collectively as a party, that's the vibe that we put off. Well, look, the Senator Bennett thing. I I would talk to people and they say, well, James, you know, Michael Bennett would be the best president, and so. What do I, okay, then I'm going to be for it. And, you know, the day he dropped out, then got back to work. But I, I feel totally comfortable. I, I didn't even know him before. I just, everybody in the world, would, you would talk to people and people I, I really respect. You're one of the most recognized Democratic, quote unquote, operative. Um, somebody who knows how to win elections, somebody who knows how to broaden the base and, and count your votes. Um, what Three pieces of, it, of advice would you give to um, uh, state parties? This is going to be a little different than questions you usually right. get. To state Democratic parties that could help them reestablish their party and their opportunities in states like North Dakota, South Dakota, Wyoming, Idaho, um, Texas. What what advice would you give? Well, first of all, what state parties really need is like pristine data. So when people run, I mean, I'm talking about, you know, voter lists, 
where there's possibility for registration, historical data, etc. That's very, very important. The next thing that's, that's really important is recruit good candidates. I mean, if it, it matters what the candidate is. This is something that drives me crazy. That somehow or another, and I call it political Presbyterianism, where the result of the election is preordained by the demographic composition of the election. That's bullshit. All right? It just is. They're wrong. And what they miss is this, and it's an important strategic point, so I'm going to take a little bit of time to make it. They'll say, James... That, that, look, Trump's going to get 94% of the Republicans. You understand that. There's nothing you can do to change that. And, you know, Biden's going to get 95% of the Democrats. And my answer is, you know, you're correct. But the number of self-identified Republicans and Democrats, that is not a static number. So if you get 94% of 41 or 94% of 34, that's a huge difference. Because the, the, how people describe the self part, self identification of a party, is what matters, and you're going you're seeing more and more people that are going to self identify as Democrats. So I'm not a believer in political Presbyterianism. All right, start there, and then you know state parties, particularly in difficult states like North Dakota, Wyoming, or Idaho. They need to know where to pick people off, where there are mayor's races, where there might be, you know, county races, and start to work to build a base of political power. And every now and then, you're going to be come in, be able to sneak and take a couple away, and you know, make them fight, make them fight for for, for all of their seats, because a lot of these people get there and they just they got a, you know, the right registration. Thing and, and they become lazy. Challenge them. Challenge them. In, in the state party, they've got to be, you know, very, very data-oriented. They've got to be very, very recruitment-oriented. And the other thing is, and this is everything in politics, my philosophy of politics is you got to run a pirate ship. You don't, you just, you're out there, you're calculating wind, you're calculating wind direction, you're calculating speed of your boat, you calculate, and then you go, and you, you loot them, you take their gold, you burn them. And, and that's what you got to do in a campaign. You got to be always on the lookout. Every time you get a chance for an advantage, you seize it. And I, I just think the lethargy that has become in the modern Democratic Party has is, is been disheartening. Where we have a bunch of demographers that say, if this is going, you know what happened in Texas? Everybody said, well... Texas has got to turn blue in April of 2025 at the point of the intersection of the ratio of the white to non-white population. You know what happened in Texas? We won. We won on the north side of Dallas. We won on the west side of Houston. We won in states because why? People changed. These, these educated females changed their votes. And so they came back and they did an analysis of the 2018 Texas returns, and Beto O'Rourke came within like 2.4. And they found out that the ratio of white to non-white wasn't any different. The ratio of young old wasn't any different. People changed their minds. That's what happened. That's what happened. And don't sit there and wait for some 
in your mind, which is the inevitable time bomb, of course, what happens when, when people see that, they get scared because they said, look, all of this is going to diminish my power. Uh, so it's, it's all so stupid. Be a pirate ship. Everywhere there's an advantage, go. Steal. <laughs> and, 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 and many times your opponent will give you that opening to just walk through the front door and you've got to yes. be willing and, and able to, to actually and ready to seize that moment. Absolutely. And they, and they, and they get lethargic and they don't have the lookouts posted in the right place. All right. They're all below decks and, you know, with the rum barrel and the pirate ship is just sitting there stalking. Yeah. Then you move it's, it's a, yeah. It, I mean, I, I think I think um, people would say we were pretty good at this in twelve, yeah. um, but uh, we were pretty good uh, at looting some votes and and winning in places people didn't think we could win. But but I will tell you that there is a there is a point at which they that the headwinds are just too difficult, There's and you cannot right. say you cannot. Yeah, if you see Nelson's ship, you get away from it. You're not. You're not gonna. It's not. You don't want. You're not gonna. You're not gonna seize the HMS Victory, but that's okay. You know, yeah. good part seize the, opportunity. The, yeah, the the um the 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 image of the Democratic Party, which in the past was, you know, we we respect everyone. That's that, and and that is who the Democratic Party is. And should be, but that's not the image that people have of our party. And and you know, Joe uh, Donnelly and I tell a story, and it's about you know, you get those big message blocks, and which word, which negative word gets said the most often about Joe or or Heidi. And and when you look at it, the largest in the biggest font is Democrat. Um, and and you know, we're we're. We're working to try and change that. And I will tell you this, Mr. Carvel, your voice out there, um, speaking bluntly, uh, truth to power or truth to people who think that they have power is absolutely essential. And I hope you keep talking about it, that you keep challenging this party to um, be more respectful and to be um, uh, better able uh, to pirate uh uh, a couple uh, more elections. And I think once we have the ability to govern, I think to govern in a way that is inclusive of everyone. Yes, yeah, so I'll just make one more thing before I go. You know, we have such, uh, the women leaders of our party, I think are more down to earth and more pragmatic than the males. I mean, let's talk Governor Mills in Maine, or Governor Gina, Governor Whitman, yourself, all right. I mean, I'm, I'm just, if I start naming names, I'll I, I just, you know, but but in every one, every every woman Democrat that I know that is actually running something has a, a, a very much of a expansive view of the electorate, has none of this arrogance at all. And I, 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 I you know, I, I, I'm. Always, when people would go about Nancy Pelosi, I said, "You don't understand. I want my I want my daughters to grow up like Nancy Pelosi, right? Nancy Pelosi doesn't think she's better than anybody." And I mean, it, it, 
It's absolutely true. She does and, not. You know, we we, we got to look, and I'm not doing this because Biden is, is, you know, because part and part of the party. I'm just telling you, these women in leadership places, they're pragmatic is all get-go, man. They understand, you know, what this is. You know, I mean, we got a lot of great, I'm not, we don't have a lot of great male leaders and, and, and anything like that. But I, I just always had a, you know, kind of a soft spot. And then I see the way that a lot of these women are governing. And it just, it's, it's really remarkable. And it's, a, it, it's it, and, and they, they govern with, with pragmatism and heart. And and they 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 and they all got a little streak of meanness, which is a good thing. It's okay to be, you know what? I'm gonna get in trouble for saying this, but I'm old and I can get away with it. You got to be a little bit of a bitch here, you know. You just got to. That's it. <laughs> oh, or or have it, it, you know? I I have a um, great story about Nancy Pelosi, and then I'll let you go. And I just want to share it with you. We were all in uh, Cuba when uh, President Obama. Um, decided that he was going to normalize relationships. A, 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 a lot of the people invited were people who had worked on Cuba policies that um, tried to reverse uh, what was a failed policy. And so I got a chance to go with um, the speaker who at the time, um, I don't think she was the speaker at the time, but she was leading the delegation, the congressional delegation. And we were at a event and and um, we were all on the bus waiting to go. And there was a limousine in front of us that um, uh, was waiting for uh, a, an Obama official. I will unname that person, not name that person. But, um, you know, we were all getting kind of restless. And it was like uh, 10 minutes of waiting. And then it was like 15 minutes of waiting. All of a sudden, Nancy Pelosi in the front of the bus stands up tells the bus driver to open up the door, gets on her, you know, three inch heels, which I never can understand how she can be on those heels all day long. She walks down, she walks over to the limo driver. She raps on the window and says, move the limousine, gets back in the bus. She didn't look to anybody else to do that. She went out there and did it herself. And, and anybody who thinks that she's arrogant and, and unwilling to do uh, things, they don't understand her power. Her nope. power, every person in that bus saw a leader, somebody who was willing to do the work that um, it takes to, to lead a delegation. And I know right. it's a small example, but it, nope. it, it left a lasting impression on me. No, nope. no. Nope. And, you know, and she's a pirate ship captain, too. You know, that's what we got to be. We got to center. We got to run a pirate ship. We got we to gotta seize that loot. And I, resistance is futile. All right. That's it. We're going to win and we're going if we're smart and we, we calculate and, and we press and we're aggressive. We're going to win big. I, I, I'm, we're not going to lose. We're going to lose North Dakota by maybe 15 points. And that's it. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do so much better than we did before. I promise you. Yeah, I, I promise and, you. But, and I. And, and and my my next step is then we've got to prove that we can govern inclusively. Got to. And 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 that will change the impression. That will make a huge difference. And you know, keep 
keep out there, keep saying what you're saying, um, keep doing what you're doing, keep speaking truth to power. And everybody um, in Louisiana is excited because we got, I think his name is Jabril Cox. He was like this all world player at North Dakota State. And he had, which is like the, the Alabama of that division. And he, he, Signed to play it one year at LSU. That's kind of the way eligibility works. So we are so fired up that we got a bison coming down to us. We couldn't be more excited. Well, from one state who uh, who sports a national championship to another state That's that sports correct. a national championship, and I know that um, if if you get cut, you bleed uh, yellow and gold, right? Or uh, yeah, yellow perfect. and purple. Purple, yeah. that's all right. Close enough. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I do. Well, you know, we're, we're gold and green. So. And by the way, Coach Ogeron, you, you talk about your kind of a guy. Oh, if, yeah. if, if he recruited you, you'd put your helmet on and charge. <laughs> that's, and that's what we need. All right. So you take care and enjoy your pizza. And thank you so much for the time. You bet. Um, it, it, it is always delightful to talk to you. You're a great American. Thanks for listening. And if you're really interested and you want more information and want to actually see visually what we're talking about, join us on social media at onecountryproject.org.